all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. <laughs> and I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> Follow us Insta Twitter, All Bad Things Pod. Oh, Twit. No. TikTok, too. Yes. Um, now I'm out of my rhythm. Okay. Follow us Insta Twitter, Facebook, TikTok at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group, our Discord, and our Twitch stream. Yes. There we go. I have to just get, get practice in. Yeah. Do all of those things. Yes. <laughs> um, we are, we literally just decided on this two minutes ago. We've decided to actually announce a Twitch stream mm-hmm. ahead of time. Yes. A bit ahead of time, even. Yes. Um, we are planning 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, United States. U.S. Eastern time, <laughs> if there's another Eastern time. Uh on December, on fr- our Friday, December um, 10th. 10th, yes, at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. What we will be streaming, we don't we know don't yet. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but please tune in. Yes, join in for some fun. Yes, which is always, it's it's always been the, the couple, been yeah, the couple that we've done. It's, yes. It's been a good time. Yes, it has been fun. It has been fun. We'll have to come up with something good. Ooh, maybe something Christmassy themed or holiday-ish themed. We or could, we could just watch Selling Sunset. <laughs> we could maybe... That's a good one. Uh, we could maybe uh, watch if there's a video out there of um, the Thanksgiving Day Parade when the Barney... <laughs> yes. Uh, there is ha- had to get that. Had to get stabbed to death. <laughs> yes. When the NYPD stabbed Barney to death. Yes. <laughs> In front of all the children. <laughs> a few people not, have not, mentioned that. Not that they wouldn't do that anyway. <laughs> No, shooting's more their stuff. That's true. Yeah. Fortunately, they didn't discharge firearms with children surrounding them. They probably had to be told, like, like don't Knives shoot only. it. Like, don't shoot it. There are other people around there like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we have to. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We'll, we'll be civil this time. We'll just use we'll just, pocket knives. We'll just stab it to death. <laughs> Like good call, Captain. We, we 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 forgot about that. That we might have randomly killed like some innocent bystanders. Um, what we drinking? We are both having the Lone Rider. It's not the. It's the Shotgun Betty. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say the Sweet, Sweet Josie, Josie Brown. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I always think of Shotgun Betty. Bam, lamb, Shotgun Betty. <laughs> Ram Jam. Is that what it's called? I think that's that the, the name band? of the band. Yeah, oh. Ram Jam. It's a weird name. Jam Ram? Something. <laughs> Space I don't know. Jam? No. Definitely not that. Um, do we have anything else? I don't think so. Why okay. don't we why don't we just roll right into the topic? Okay, that's good, because this is a lengthy one. Okay. And this is our first fully multimedia experience episode. Okay. We have a playlist for this episode. Okay. Alright. Interesting. It's gonna be great. Um so this is the story. I was going to say, you don't even have the script in your hand. <laughs> Get it ready. <laughs> of the death of Henry John Deutschendorf Jr., known to the world as 
Any guess? I have no fucking clue who that is. John Denver. Oh, okay. Is that, that is that his actual name? Henry John, John. Deutschendorf Jr. I can see why he went with John Denver. That's we'll just, get to that. That's just much easier. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's hence my howdy at the beginning. Okay. Right? All right. Do you talk about camping? No, I don't. I'm, I'm <laughs> so on October 12th, 1997, folk oh. and... Yeah, 97. I thought it was way earlier than that. Mm-mm-mm. Folk and sort of soft rock, folk rock singer-songwriter John Denver died off the coast of California while flying his homemade airplane. Homemade? Not by him, but it was okay. homemade. We, we will get into all of that. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Primary sources. All that's interesting. AV Club, Beach Bear and Cockpit, Checksix.com, Chicago Tribune, Country Thing Daily. <laughs> Married Wiki, Public Eye with Bryant Gumbel, Rocks Off Magazine, Seattle Times, Snopes.com, Sun Sentinel, and Wikipedia. All right. So this this disaster has a very specific residence in my mind. I used to get John Denver and Sonny Bono mixed up. I don't know how that is. Well, let me explain how. Let me explain. John Denver died in October 97. Sonny Boner died in January 98. So they died very close to each other, right? But they do not look the same. Please they listen do. to what I'm going to say. <laughs> How you get certain people confused is beyond no, me. No, I was 12. Number one, I was 12 when John Denver died. I turned 13 and then Sonny Bono died. I had no idea who either of them were. I just remember my parents being like, oh, did you hear Sonny Bono died in a ski accident? Oh, did you hear John Denver died in a plane accident? And being vaguely aware that they were both musicians. And that's it. So that's the only frame of reference I had in my mind for either of them for years. So they could have been each other. I didn't didn't know what they were like. It could have been John Bono and Sonny Denver. Mm -hmm. Sonny Denver. (laughs) Um... So I, I didn't know John Denver's music and I didn't know Sonny Bono's music. So um, I've learned more about John Denver's music this week. I'll tell you that. But uh, so, yes, we're going to be listening to hope. Well, it's going to be little snippets of songs because I don't want to veer into copyright infringement territory sure. too much. Um, <laughs> we're not making a dime off of this. So that should help any copyright infringement case. But anyway, so John Denver, indeed, not born John Denver. But he was born Henry John Deutschendorf Jr. on December 31st. So New Year's Eve, baby. My dad is too. 1943, which means okay. he died at age 53. Mm-hmm. To Henry John Deutschendorf Sr., nicknamed Dutch, and Emma Louise, or Irma? I put Irma, but I feel like it's Emma. Irma or Emma. <laughs> Louise Swope Deutschendorf. Anyway, I have a picture. I've got lots of pictures this episode. This is him and his parents when he was a wee tyke. Okay. A wee little boy. Yep. Little Henry John Deutschendorf Jr. Mm-hmm. You just come over there. Um, Henry Sr. was one of the first officers in the newly formed United States Air Force. Oh, okay. Do you know when the USAF came into being? I just learned um, this. <laughs> well, it was a... It was a branch of the Army for a little the while. The Army Air Corps, I believe, yes. it used to be. Yeah. Um, when it became its own entity, I want to say like in the mid-50s. 
1947. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That um, makes sense. It was the National Security Act of 1947 that formed the U.S. Air Force. Okay. And his dad was like one of the founders. Not nearly as important as the Space Force. Yeah. <laughs> well. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, his dad would eventually retire as a captain, so he, he made his way up quite a bit. Uh, Henry Jr. was born in Roswell, New Mexico. Okay. But, uh, which obviously... By aliens. Aliens, yeah. Yeah. Is that Area 51 is in Roswell? It is, Okay. But they moved a bunch when he was growing up because his dad was in the armed services. So he's like, kind of like an army brat, but Air Force brat, right? Um, By all accounts, he was introverted and shy and really struggled with always being the new kid in school. Uh, He would later say in his biography that his father was harsh and unloving. I think that's just what dads were. Dads were. were. But also imagine armed services dads in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. They were probably pretty. It was just extra harsh and uh, not loving. Yeah. Um, Also, his dad was, is apparently in the Air Force Hall of Fame. Didn't know there was a thing, but there is. Um, for breaking multiple supersonic bomber speed records. Okay. So his dad's kind of a ace, you call it, or a, a, no, a an, hot dog. No, but. an ace is a, a single pilot um, plane. So if he so if he was bombers flying, not single pilot. No, there's usually there's at a least at a... least two of you, oh, okay. and depending on what type of bomber it is, there could be a crew of like five or six. So like some of the people are. Dropping the bombs. Some of them are flying. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, John Denver's love of nature started because of this in his childhood, because of moving around. In his own words, quote, I used to go out into the desert or I'd climb up into a tree or I'd be up in the mountains just anywhere that I could get out in nature. End quote. Nice. His wife, Annie, would later characterize him as, quote, he was sort of an odd, he was a sort of odd little kid. (laughs) End quote. Denver himself would later write in his autobiography, quote, we never stayed any place long enough to make friends. And yeah, like, that's yeah. that's tough. Especially for an introvert when you're, kid. Well, kid. that's probably why he was an introvert. Um, yeah, maybe. And just uh, th- that lack of stability at mm-hmm. that age, that's pretty, that's got to be pretty tough. Especially if he didn't feel his dad was particularly nurturing. Yeah. He probably felt on his own a lot. Yeah. That's really sad. Well, I, and that's, yeah, and that's why he probably sought to get out and yeah. just experience mm-hmm. things on his own. Mm-hmm. When he was 11 years old, uh, John was given his grandmother's guitar, a 1910 Gibson. Wow. Yep. And that. I didn't even know that company went back that far. Right? And that sparked his musical interests. He also joined a boys' choir when his family lived in Tucson, Arizona. But then the family moved again to Montgomery, Alabama, so he didn't stay in. He also apparently didn't like Alabama in the mid-1950s, and who can blame him? I wonder why. (laughs) He specifically apparently called out, like, he's like, he literally said, like, they were all a bunch of crackers. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he didn't like, and it, this is seg- mid segregation, like the worst of the segregation or not the worst, but oh, awful segregation. God. Yeah. Well, this is at the, I mean, the Jim Crow laws are mm-hmm. still in effect at this point. Yep. Yep. Um, he, uh, his musical interests had kind of waned when they moved, but then Elvis hit it big and he became an Elvis fan. And that sort of sparked his interest back in music to start learning the guitar again. Uh, the family ended up moving to, again to Fort Worth, Texas, and John didn't like living in Texas very much. He ran away to California 
during his junior year, but then his dad flew out to California and dragged him back to Texas. Okay. And he did graduate from high school in Texas. So here is Joan Denver's that high school. It almost doesn't even look like him. You know what? If you look at other pictures of him later on, you see the resemblance. No, you do, but it's just, it's the hair. The that's, hair is that's, very That's the different. thing. Well, because this would have been, what, 1961? Yeah, when everybody Something has like the, uh, the, crop, the, the crop top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it, we are a land of rugged individualism, but yet every man in this time had the same fucking haircut. Very true. <laughs> very true. <laughs> um, is that what they call the high end type? No. It's a, I, I've always called it a crop top. Crop top. Yeah. I don't. What is a high end tight? I think oh, it's probably the same thing. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not good at that stuff, but anyway. It's like you have very little hair on, on top side. of your head, and it's flat on flat. the top. Yeah. Like, and it's well. Then what's a crew cut? Is that that's probably that's kind of that's, that's but it's a little cut. longer hmm. than a crew cut. Hmm. Timothy Timothy McVeigh had a crew cut. Oh, okay. I can picture that immediately. That's mm-hmm. a good. That's a good example. Yes. Okay. So despite not liking where he was in Texas, John Denver did not leave right away after he graduated high school. He ended up going to Texas Tech in Lubbock for a bit. Uh, He majored in architecture and dropped out. Um, Also around this time is when he changed his name to Denver. Now this is, and adopted his middle name, right? He dropped the Henry, and it's possible his dad never went by Henry either. You know, some people go by their middle names. now, this is where things start looking like the movie A Mighty Wind. <laughs> a Mighty Wind. Do you remember that one? The I'm Christopher sure. Guest movie um, about folk music. Um, I don't Eugene think I Levy. ever saw it. Oh, no, really? I love A Mighty Wind. I don't think I ever saw we it. We need to watch it. It's so good. I'm, uh, yeah. It's really good. I really like it. Anyway, I know you're a little mad about Christopher Guest films, mm-hmm. but I think it's really good. So, um, first we need to meet... The new Christy Minstrels. The, the who? The new Christy Minstrels, <laughs> which was a very large folk group consisting of like eight people. And I wrote that thing where that line where I said, this is where things start looking like the movie A Mighty Wind. I wrote that just by looking at a picture of these people. But their Wikipedia page says that that is exactly who they were parodying in A Mighty Wind with the group they called the New Main Street Singers. So I'm going to show you a picture <laughs> okay. of the new Christy Minstrels, and then on the bottom is a picture of the main, uh, the New Main Street Singers. <laughs> the, the, main, the main coons? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. That's yeah, This is that's, the parody, that's right. the real thing. Well, I recognize... Uh, Jane Lynch. Yes. Yeah. Parker Posey. Is that her? Mm-hmm. Really? My God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's such a... Isn't that hilarious? You know what? Somebody, like, like right before they took that photo, somebody told a racist joke. And that's why they all look like they're <laughs> laughing jollily. I'm, I'm kidding. I mean, who knows what... <laughs> so, but, it, but, it, but it's literally the photographer like, everybody laugh. This guy's not completely into it. I think they're <laughs> singing. I think they're supposed to be singing. That doesn't... Uh, okay. So now, are we ready to start our multimedia experience? Let's do it. So first, let's listen to... And these are just going to be snippets. We're not going to listen forever. Um, listen to a little bit of Green Green by the new Christy Minstrels. You know what the... 
I like that guitar part a lot. It's just when they start singing, it it it, it ruins it. It ruins everything else. <laughs> yeah. Well, then, so it's like early folk, or not early. Folk, I would but almost it's like call that. Folk, right? I would almost call that like gospel. Because, no, no, that's not yeah, because there's so many of them. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. It's more of a choir effect. But yeah. It's not gospel style. Okay. No, no. Um, now here is the parody. The new Main Street Singers. They wrote original music for this this movie. This is called Main Street Rag. It almost sounds the same. Well, that's that's. The I'm whole sure point. that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they were deliberately trying to sound like these people. They were parodying them. <laughs> that's fucking funny. A Mighty Wind is a great movie. It really uh, is. I, I might like. Okay. I might. I'm. I'm waiting. We'll consider it. Now, here's a side note. At one point, a member of the new Christy Minstrels was one Kenny Rogers. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> is he in this photo? No, I don't believe so. Oh, okay. It was a little later than that. Okay. Was it before he owned his chain of uh, chicken restaurants? (laughs) I remember those (laughs) restaurants. We had one in Kendall. I was going to say, when I went to, the only time I think I ever went to to one Uh was my senior trip. We went to uh, Walt Disney World. (laughs) And there was one, it wasn't at Disney World, but I remember it was like a block Mm -hmm. away from our hotel, wherever we were staying. That's so funny. A Kenny Rogers Roaster. That's what it was called. Kenny Rogers Roaster. There's Roasters. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember if it was good or not, but I know I went there. (laughs) I feel like we got takeout from Kenny Rogers Roasters at some point. Are they still around? Uh, The one near us closed ages before we moved. So that was like 25 plus years ago. There was also a Seinfeld episode built around a Kenny Kenny Rogers Rogers Roaster. Really? Okay, we're going to have to watch that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So I will fully admit that like, the first four pages, four and a half pages of this is all about John Denver and a lot of other fun stuff. And then, like, the last bit is the crash. Yeah. Because it is so much more fun to talk about his life than his death. But we will get to his death. But yeah, anyway. I mean, I've never been into country or, like, any of that kind of stuff. Can but I there's say, there's something different about John Denver. There just, there just gonna is. We're going to learn about it. I've yeah. mildly fallen in love with John Denver. Okay. I, and you know what? I kind of like his voice. Maybe which, Maybe that's it. And I think for me, maybe it's like he wasn't coming across as like a Boy Scout or something like that. That's just like he was coming across as like who he was. We're going to get he's. Yeah, I actually think he's a pretty cool person. He did some uncool shit, which we'll get to. Yeah, but that just means he's human. Yeah, nobody's perfect. Yes. Okay. Poe, but he's perfect, as they say. (laughs) All right. So the band leader of the minstrels was a dapper gentleman named Randy Sparks. Of course. And who do you think Randy Sparks looks like? Is that uh oh god, uh what's his name? Johnny Cash. Oh, that's not a bad that's not a bad that guess. That looks like an early Johnny Cash. I thought Dick Clark. That uh yeah, that too. If Dick Clark and Johnny Cash had a baby, it'd be Randy Sparks. Yeah, at the age of twenty five. Yes. <laughs> at the age of twenty five looking like he's forty. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, well, that's what, they that's, did what back that's what people then. looked like back yes. then. <laughs> So Randy Sparks, who founded the New New Christie Minstrels, sorry, that doesn't feel natural to say. Anyway, um, gave John a good piece of advice. He said, get rid of the Deutschendorf. Yeah. (laughs) Not because it was hard to pronounce or whatever, but he's like, that's not going to fit on a marquee. 
Yeah. And at and, this point, John was playing, like, you and, know, bands around town and stuff. And because of how it sounds. Like, you can't... Yeah. You literally can't be taken seriously in America if your last name is Deutschendorf. Well, I mean, this is also post-World War Two a little bit. So, right? I mean, it's it's the 60s, but still, I would imagine having, like, a really German-sounding name might be a little weird. I don't know. I was thinking it was Austrian, but either way. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, so... So he did. So he changed his last name and he changed it to Denver because he loved the city of Denver, Colorado. Sure. I've, I've, I've yet to yet to go. But. He is a lifelong like lover of Colorado. Colorado was like his state, his adopted state. So Well, Rocky Mountain High. We will get to all that. So when he dropped out of college in 1963, the newly minted so John he's 20, Denver. So he's 20 years old. Um, he would actually year be 19 wise. at this point because oh, okay. he was born on December 31st. That's so true. basically he's a year behind, right? Yeah. Um, the newly minted John Denver headed back to California where he joined his first band, a satirical folk rock folk group named the Chad Mitchell Trio in 1965. <laughs> We're going to talk about why they're satirical. It would be hilarious that there's four of them. <laughs> well, that'd be part of it, right? <laughs> uh, and he wrote some of his earliest songs for the Chad Mitchell Trio. Members cycled in and out until the three members became the newly renamed Denver, Boise, and Johnson. <laughs> now, where, Johnson... Where is Johnson City? No, that's just their last names. Oh. <laughs> like the other... Like, like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like the other guy's names. <laughs> like he loved Boise so much. No, that's literally his last name. <laughs> no, it I know. Been, it could have been a stage name, but... Yeah. Then, like, why couldn't Johnson, like, call himself... Atlanta or something. Yeah, something more fun. <laughs> you know. Um, is there anyway, a city somewhere in America just named Johnson? I'm there must dead be. Dead positive there is. I would be absolutely shocked if there weren't. I was thinking Johnson City, but that's the name of the whole place. Well, but, think uh, how many Jacksons there are. There's got to be a Johnson. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. There's just got to be. Even if he had called himself Jackson, that would have fit. That would have been better. You know? Yeah. Um. So given what we we are going to learn about his philosophy and politics, the fact that he was in a group that made political statements and skewered politicians through song makes a lot of sense. One of their songs was called The 68 Nixon, This Year's Model, and included these lyrics. Are you ready for this? Now the Reagan can ramble, the Rocky can race, but Dick can jump from left to right and not lose his place. His 56 production was loaded with spite. His 60 was a copy of the 58 Ike. The third time's a charm, and if it's charm that you like, you'll like the 68 Nixon. He's different this year. The 68 Nixon is here, and he's liberal and conservative. He's humble and he's proud. He's more than just a candidate. He's a crowd. <laughs> you know what? That's not bad. Isn't it awesome? Yeah. It's actually really awesome, I think. Um... Oh, goodness, did I delete this? No, 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 I get to it later. It's just another fun thing. Anyway, during his Chad Mitchell trio, Denver, Boise, and Johnson days, John also recorded his first solo demo in 1966, which included a song he wrote on a plane trip layover called Babe, I Hate to Go. And he gave out this demo, like, as Christmas presents, right? Which... Yeah, Every why musician not? has fucking recorded themselves and given that out as Christmas presents, myself included. But back in the di- back back in this time, though, that would have been a big production, yeah. right? It would have been a big y- deal. You, to you literally know. like, hey, do you have a reel to reel? Like here it is. He may have even pressed records. <laughs> Probably you know? or or both. 
Um, his producer. <laughs> you, get, you guys got a cassette tape player? <laughs> In your hi-fi? <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, it's eight tracks first. You guys got an eight track? Oh, those aren't invented yet either. Um. So his producer suggested that he change the name of the song from "Babe I Hate to Go" to "Leaving on a Jet Plane." Oh. Which he did. Okay. The song became a hit single for famed Puff the Magic Dragon group. Peter, Paul, and Mary, in 1969, the same year Denver left his own trio. He recorded the song himself the same year, but it wasn't as popular as the Billboard number one Peter, Paul, and Mary I was just going to say, is that the version I know? I guess it is. Probably. So, would you like to hear? We're going to start with, um, and I'm going to do a little fast forwarding so we don't listen to the whole thing. We're just going to listen to kind of the hook. Um, So, this is the Peter, Paul, and Mary version, Okay. This is getting into the chorus. This is Peter, Paul, and Mary. Right. I guess maybe I thought I had been listening to the John Denver version this whole time. Would you like to hear the John Yes. Version? Like, who, okay. the, who the fuck wants to listen to a bunch of hippies? <laughs> so we get to hear John Denver's voice now. Now, some people, apparently some critics, think he had a whiny, terrible voice. I actually really... I'm starting to love his voice. So. Okay, this is the version I've heard. Yeah. Because the chorus is much more... Yeah. Lilting and... It's much more personal to me, this chorus, than the other one. Yeah, there's way more emotion in that. It's that's a much See, better. See, that's, that's what I yeah. love about his voice. But, I mean, I get what people say about like the quality of his voice. It doesn't. It kind of doesn't matter in his because his voice is good enough to it, be like. It sounds emotional. It sounds exactly. Genuine. Yes. Like you can tell he feels whatever he says. Yes. It made me verklempt hearing some of his yeah. stuff. Like he's a good emoter, and we're gonna like the Peter Paul and Mary version sounded like. Oh, this is a good hook. Mm-hmm. Let's go with it. Yeah. That sounded like, I'm really going through this right yes. now. Mm-hmm. You know? And, there, and, and, there's, and there's a fucking difference. Like, yes, you can you can hear it. Yes, you're right. You can hear emotion in music. Yeah. And you don't always need emotion. Like, one of my um, favorite, least, favorite singers with the least bit of emotion possible in their voice is Rihanna. Oh, yeah. She has no, yeah. She has dead Zero. emotion. Yeah. And it works. Like, yeah. it works for her. She she makes it work. But he's got, like, emotion pouring from his it's voice, like, I feel. Like, to me, like, as far as, like, covers have gone, mm-hmm. and, wow, you can hear the emotion in one and not the other, um, Lennon, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah is, uh-huh. to me, is just a song. Huh. Like, it just exists. With Jeff Buckley. Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah is, like, it'll fucking make you cry. That's, like, that's it, a... It, uh, that's an emotional song for yes. one, and so anyone with emotion in their voice. And who knows, yeah. like, if he was going through something at that time or not. Mm-hmm. Regardless, like, it's it's well, he there. Die. Untimely. He did. He died not too long after that. Yeah. But just that song is just like, hold, it'll fucking sink your heart. Mm-hmm. It's just like mm-hmm. his version of it is. Mm-hmm. 
the same thing with Lions Lions version of uh, Locked Out of Locked Heaven. Out of Heaven. Mm-hmm. There's much yes. more emotion in the chorus. Oh my god! If you go to YouTube and Google, or go to YouTube and Google, <laughs> and Google look it. up on YouTube Lions Lions Locked Out of Heaven. They do a it's cover. It's so much better than Bruno Mars oh version. Oh my god! Bruno Mars version is like a it's fun a, little pop hit. Yeah, theirs is like. I really fucking want you. Like, it yeah. is. It's Bruno Mars' version yeah. of it is like, well, I'll get 10 others like you later right. on anyway. Yeah. Like, it kind of doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The Lions Lions version is like, Raw. yes. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's mm-hmm. like, it has to be you. Yes. And if it's not, then, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Also, I know Isaac, one of the guitar players. There you go. I used to play with him in a church band <laughs> yeah there's much more of a desperation in the lions lions version mm-hmm. than in the in the bruno mars mm-hmm. and it comes out and how they perform it and sing it absolutely absolutely so we'll have more we'll get to i'm hear sure more we john. will <laughs> um also in 1966 john met a woman named annie martell and they got married the next year so they were like 22 at this point Both would later admit that it wasn't the best idea they're getting married. Uh, They were both in their very early 20s. They didn't know each other very long before getting married, apparently. That was just kind of how it was back then. Yeah, apparently he proposed over the telephone. There's that. Um, While she stayed at their home base of a... uh, I should have fucking looked this up. I've lived in fucking Minnesota. Edina, Minnesota, or Edina, Minnesota. I feel like it's Edina. E-D-I-N-A? Yeah. Okay. I feel like we also have enough... I feel like we also have enough Midwest listeners that they'll let me know. Anyway, um, which she was from Minnesota. And he was constantly touring with his trio, so road life. Musicians tend to not have terribly stable... Well, touring musicians tend to not have stable home lives, so... You you just can't. Yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So unlike the typical story of that era, you know, people marrying really young, getting married quickly, having uh, kids right away, they actually didn't have any biological children. Um, They would eventually adopt two kids together in the 70s, a boy named Zachary John and a girl named Anna Kate. Also in 1969, uh, this going back to Leaving on the Jet Plane came in 1969, Denver released his first album, Rhymes and Reasons. He actually stayed a bit, This this is amazing, he stayed a bit political in tone on that album with songs including The Ballad of Spiro Agnew, who just for a refresher nixon's vp right first vp yes (laughs) and also the ballad of richard nixon so um should we just go ahead and listen no we can actually listen to the entire song because it's 18 seconds long um so this is the ballad of spiro agnew all right we're ready for the ballad of spiro agnew let's do it I'll sing you a song of Spiro Agnew And all the things he's done That's the song. Is that it? That's the song. Okay. (laughs) In other words, he ain't done shit. Yeah. Um, And then, would you like to hear the ballad of Richard Nixon? Sure. His, uh... Oh, goodness. It's not, my phone is being dumb and and being... Your smartphone is being dumb. Yes. But I can describe it because there's no instrument, instruments at all. And there's no vocalizations at all. It's four seconds of silence. Okay. So the Ballad of Richard Nixon is, fuck you, Richard Nixon. He's he's making a statement. (laughs) Yes, he is. I enjoy it. I love it. Yep. Um... So there's an, an, an... It also makes me love this guy even more. I know! 
That's what I'm saying. He's like fantastic yeah. in a lot of ways. Um, if anybody is interested in like how awful of a person, uh, well, most people know that. Oh, Spiro Agnew. Agnew. Um, I despise this person. She's not, she is a entertainment journalist, not a journalist journalist. Rachel Maddow actually did a really good series on Spiro Agnew. A podcast, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So look that up. What's it called? I can't, I can't remember, but it was really good. Like it, it, it made it made me focus. Like, wow! Like, was he a Dick Cheney, basically? No, he was more like Donald Trump. Oh God! Like, and it was like the shit that he did and the stuff that he pulled. But anyway, well, I I'll have to listen to it. Yeah, it was good. Was it Bagman? That's what it was. Yes, That's Bagman. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Um, so here's an interesting thing about John Denver. For some reason, he seems to be a little bit of a target of conspiracy theories. He being the target. Not, Him. Not, okay. And his life. Okay. Um, for, yeah, for some reason, there's some conspiracy surrounding him, his life and his death. Um, we'll get into, like, the death, stupid death rumors, but more pertinent to his life at this point is there has been a long-held theory that John Denver was a prolific sniper during the Vietnam War. Did he serve? No. I was going to (laughs) say. So first off, no, he didn't serve, period, in the armed forces. I Uh, wonder why he didn't get drafted. He had bad eyesight, number one. His signature John Lennon glasses that he'd wear, the round, Mm -hmm. um, that's because he had bad eyesight. One. Which will which will disqualify or you. or rank you really low, right? Yes. And two, he lost two of his toes in a lawn mowing accident. Oh, jeez! I, I know. Uh, I went way too far into researching that, and we don't need to go into any more. I think I think Suffice we get it. Say. And yeah. it wasn't like I thought. Maybe he clipped off his little toe. No, the first two big toes on his right foot gone. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to speculate in my mind how that happened yeah. and just leave it we, there. Yeah. Um, he was called up for the draft in 1964, so he would have been like 20 or 21 at that mm-hmm. point. Um, 20, yeah. But those medical issues wound up giving him a 1Y designation, which was basically like he's last on the <laughs> like, list to get called like, up. Like if all the rest of them are dead, right? then you can come in. Mm-hmm. And then I'm imagining by the time the Vietnam War was in full swing, he had kind of aged past the bulk no, of who they were sending. No, because you could be drafted. At, at what I believe, um, mm-hmm. what, I'm, what I've understood is you could be drafted up until the age of 38. Oh, I'm sure. I'm just saying that they had a whole... Because the average age, as Paul, Paul Hardcastle told us, the average age of a soldier in Vietnam was 19. 19, mm-hmm. yeah. So they had a younger pool to pull from. Yeah. Instead of Mr. 1Y... Eight toes. They're like they're like he's already kind of have a life. Like we want to get people that haven't even well, gotten started yet. He would have been married yet. with uh, well, yeah. not with kids at that point, but married. Yeah. So yeah. They're like they're like we want to we want to crush the dreams of eighteen and nineteen year olds. That's <laughs> right. Like it's just better. For, it's just better for everybody that mm-hmm. way. So the reality of it is no, he like didn't even go to Vietnam. He didn't serve in the armed forces at all. But apparently, some people still either actually believe he went to Vietnam or just want to, like, spread the rumor and being idiots about it. Like, did he maybe go to Vietnam on, like, a USO tour or something like that? Like, he's just never even been there. There's no reason to think. (laughs) But this is... 
I'll show you. There's one website that talks about it like it's completely serious. Here's the horrifically photoshopped image that they give of him with a human skull in, quote, the jungles of Vietnam. Look at that. That's, yeah. Look at his I mean, eyes. Like, who the fuck? Like, who the fuck is going to believe that? Oh, yeah, millions of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It's really fucking dumb. It's Jesus really God. fucking dumb. Even back then, dude, it's, it's hysterical. So that website... Imagine if these people had the internet in the 60s. Holy fuck. <laughs> well, these people have the internet now, and they're no, still no, saying No, 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 but I'm this. saying, like, Jesus know, Christ. So, um, allegations in that website uh, have been made that he sniped 105 people between 1960 and ni- 1966 and 1968. Again, terrible eyesight. <laughs> well, on top of... You know how hard that is to do? Yes. Yes, I I can imagine. I mean, yeah. And then here's the other thing. That's pretty remarkable that he sniped that many people while he was also touring the United States with his band. Jesus Christ. It's just the dumbest fucking shit. It's it's, right up there with JFK Jr. being uh, vice president in the next election. What the fuck? So it's, it's been speculated that it's sort of... He actually, during the 70s, did have a very sort of squeaky clean image. So the, it's sort of like there are similar rumors about Mr. Rogers. People said that he allegedly wore long sleeves to cover up all his tattoos. And it's just like, oh, fuck Get the you. fuck out of here. Like, <laughs> he so, wore long sleeves because he grew up in Pennsylvania where it's cold. <laughs> That's why. So it's. Here's and here it goes even even a step further. So have you ever heard of the 1990 movie Jacob's Ladder? Oh yeah. Oh, I've Tim seen Robbins. it. It's a fucked up movie. And it's about like a Vietnam it's, vet with PTSD or something. It it is a one you see it once and you never see it again. And you still fucking remember it. It's so this this yeah. website claims, he played he played a mailman I believe. Okay, but he had who, served who was, in Vietnam. Yes, yes. This website claims that it was based on John Denver's story. <laughs> uh, no, it's not based on anybody's story. It's, what it, what is what is based on mm-hmm. is four or five writers together doing loads of acid uh, right. <laughs> and coming up with a story out of that. Yeah. So that's that's it's just so fucking dumb. But anyway, uh, I would say Jacob's Ladder. I mean, I don't want to watch it again. Mm-hmm. If you've never seen it, it is worth seeing. I read a little bit of the synopsis. But... Yeah. It's really fucked up. Yeah. It's like one of the... It's it's like every movie in the 70s. Like, you just see it once, and like, all right, I'm good. Ah, that's how... Like, yeah. Yeah, I know I know what you mean. Okay. So, let me cue up the next song here. This one makes me cry. I It's his fucking voice. It's his voice. It's like... Like you said, it's, it's like an emotive voice. Anyway... In 1971 is when his career, like, really took off, thanks to his second album, Poems, Prayers, and Promises. So he would have been 27, 28. 27. Yeah, 27, because he was born at the end of the year, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's Runaway Hit. What is the first song you think of when you think of John Denver? Rocky Mountain High. Okay, that's a great guess. Okay. Number two. (laughs) I I would have said Leaving on a Jet Plane. What? what Oh, yeah, Take Me Home, Country Roads. That lyric, though, Take Me to the Place I Belong, I belong mm-hmm. that's coming straight out of his childhood. Yeah. 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 
Because wherever he belonged, it wasn't where he was. Exactly. It's What's so funny is he talks about West Virginia. He doesn't really have ties to West Virginia. Maybe he maybe he was there for a little bit when he grew up. I don't know. It didn't sound like it, but he was a Colorado adult. He loved Colorado and lived in Colorado. Yeah, yeah John, Johnny Denver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so to be singing about, like, yeah, just a completely different... I will say this. I've driven through West Virginia a few times. Uh, oh, it's fucking gorgeous. It is. You don't want to drive through. But there's, there's, it's, there's nothing there. You, like can, it's, you can understand when people are like, this is God's country sort of a thing. A little like bit. Like the idea that's like unspoiled nature until you get to the coal mines. But, um, but I will say that song is what made me decide to do this episode. I was listening to the Office Ladies podcast. Okay. And uh, they were covering the episode Michael Scott Paper Company. And in it is the first appearance of um, Ellie Kemper as Erin, the receptionist. And both Dwight and Andy have a crush on her and want to impress her. And Andy tries to play the banjo. Oh, that's right. Because I do remember that episode. And they do a duet of Take Me Home Country Roads. Mm -hmm. Um, and eventually, and then Toby, her. and then Toby comes in. He's like, he's like, you stop. He's like, you guys got to stop because <laughs> they're playing it in like the break room. Yes, or something they like are, that. Yeah. and getting really fucking loud doing <laughs> yeah. it too. Yeah, so that's what triggered doing this whole episode. Anyway, Denver actually didn't write this song or the bulk of this song. He co-wrote it with Bill Danoff and Taffy. Nivert. <laughs> were they from West Virginia? No, but they were from another famous group of the 70s. Uh, Sly so in the Family Stone? Danoff was the writer of um, one Starland vocal band's very uncomfortably Why sensual hit, Afternoon Delight. Oh my God, yeah. I was <laughs> going to say, I know I know that band Afternoon for a reason. Afternoon Delight co-wrote Take Me Home Country Road. <laughs> Probably wrote it simultaneously, too. <laughs> Can I also say, the first time I ever heard Take Me Home Country Roads, I was like 18 or something, and uh, I was self-employed at a really young age. I was teaching piano and violin lessons, and that made my taxes tricky, right? And my parents took me to my grandparents' accountant to do my taxes because they were getting kind of complicated because I had self-employment income, which now I fully understand how complicated that is. Um, he char- The accountant charged for my parents, but did mine for free. He was very, it was very nice. He known my grandparents for years. And he was talking with my parents about, you know, every tax season, there's one song that I keep listening to. And I always pick a song and it gets me through tax season. And he played Take Me Home Country Roads for us. Is that literally the only song he plays throughout the entire... I don't know. I guess like it's just like the when he needs it, that's the song. I I would think that would just drive you further into a mania (laughs) if you're playing the same song all the time. you are fully aware what tax season is like. Yes. Yeah. Not fully. You are fully aware. Well, you second-handedly. I'm fully aware of what it can do to a person. Yes. Those days are over, baby. Yes, thank God. Um, so, Nivert and Danoff had written the bulk of the song and had planned to sell it to Johnny Cash, who you mentioned earlier, but they ended up running into Denver randomly, and he loved it, and he helped them finish writing it. Okay. So that's the story behind Take Me Home Country. Interesting. So, throughout the 70s, John Denver remained a popular recording artist. We're going to listen to lots more. Another one of his hits, 
Rocky Mountain High was from the 1972 album of the same name. And we're going to. So he's, so this is the album where he's just like arrived and knocking it out of the park. Yeah. With, with he, all, he's with all the definitely singles. there. Yeah, there, there's just something about his voice. I'm with you. Yeah. Isn't it like... Oh, oh, oh hold on. I think he, he gets he, to a really... Hold on. I think he okay. hits a really great note. Right there. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a je ne sais quoi, if there you will. There is a je ne sais quoi. Um, like, some people just have it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't define what it is. And I'll tell you, it's before, it's just it's just they have it. They do like, have what, it. He has the it factor. And before this episode, I would not have identified John Denver as having the it factor. But I wouldn't I, have either. I totally think he has the it factor. Yeah. Yeah. He well, does. I mean, there was a reason why he mm-hmm. was as popular as he was. Yes. And it wasn't bullshit reasons. Like, no. Like, you know, record companies are just plastering right. his. No, it was like people connected with him. Yes. An emotional connection. I yeah. absolutely agree. So Rocky Mountain High reflected his longtime love of Colorado. Remember, he named himself after a city in mm-hmm. it. Um, he lived in Aspen for the bulk of his adult life. Like, that's where he eventually settled was I, Aspen. I really want to go to Colorado. I know. I've never been. Now I really do. I'm like, if it was good enough yeah. for John Denver. Right. So, um, his other 70s hits included Annie's Song, written for his wife, Annie. I think I know Annie. that. Mm-hmm. So, side note, I first heard Annie's Song in My Best Friend's Wedding. Okay. Um, my, oh my Best God, Friend's Wedding. Is that Cameron Diaz? Yes. Yeah, and okay. Roberts okay, and yeah. Dermot Mulroney. Yeah. Not Dylan McDermott. I, I do get... Mulroney. No, that... no, no. That's the only that's those are the only two legitimate people to get confused. There, it, it's agree, <laughs> because it's they allowable. both because they both fucking look the they same, look the same <laughs> and, and have similar na- names and their names sound the same. They do. So there's a scene where, um, like, some kids are playing around at the wedding and they've sucked the helium in um, oh, balloons okay. and they are singing Annie's song. But anyway, um, uh, let me. Oh, oh, I just said at the beginning. The guitar playing's really pretty too. You fill up my oh, I know this song. Okay. It was a big yeah. hit. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, like he he's got it. He does have it. He does have it. And then um, another hit of his was this. You know what? I, it's early to rise, early in the sack. Thank God I'm a country boy. Oh, did he, he did that? He oh, did, okay. Did oh, okay. Do you know where I first heard it? No. Where? It's fucking Alvin the Chipmunks. It is. Oh, my God. <laughs> A whole generation of children learn songs to Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> this is from Urban Cow, Urban Chipmunks. Sorry. Oh, oh okay. yeah. Well, you better, you better <laughs> get it. Better get it straight. Which is not to be found on on Spotify. I had to go to YouTube for that. But I listened to 
urban chipmunk so many times. We may even have it, and in, in, I hope I still have it. Because that's talking how about the I record? Know. Yes. Yes. The record. The actual little record. <laughs> because that's how I know who Brenda Lee is. I'm not <laughs> sure who no, that is. Who is a that? A country singer. Okay. They did um, uh, uh, Made for Each Other. Like a baby and its mother. Larry Gatlin and his brothers. <laughs> the Gatlin brothers. What, what this is... Uh, it's like Grand Old Opry shit from way back. Sure. What this is reminding me of, and I, 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 I can't tell you the last time I thought about this or even remember that this was a thing. Mm-hmm. Our neighbors where I grew up um, listened to country music. Really? Like old school country? Well, like, like this, Haggard-ish? this type of because John okay. Denver, I think, in that okay. was considered in that yes, realm. Yes, he was kind of considered a country artist. Yeah, um, and I think that's where I heard most of it from their fucking speakers, like playing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like as soon as I heard heavy metal, I was like, "That's for me." <laughs> not, John Denver, n- not not that. <laughs> but uh, but yes, our our neighbors where I grew up, huh. like that's what that's what the dad listened to. Because I remember, I still remember, because they built like a, a back porch, like addition onto their house. I still remember this. And I remember having the radio outside. Because, uh, okay. you know, when you're a little kid, you're outside all the time. Uh-huh. Then. I don't know about now. Yeah. And I, I do remember like it was always on whatever the fucking country station was. That's funny. And the funniest shit was probably like coming from the, from, it was probably Canadian country. Right. <laughs> Well, the Rockies hey, go all the way into Canada. They, they do. Yeah. Yes, they do. So. And Canadians are into country music. <laughs> well, there you go. Ah, so during his heyday of the 70s, John Denver won awards from the Academy of Country Music, the American Music Awards, the Country Music Association, and even landed an, am- an Emmy for a musical special, but he would not win a Grammy in his lifetime. Really? Yeah. So there were some critical detractors so critics who didn't like him yeah specifically people, like his voice people who are fucking good. full of shit yeah basically like critics are just like kind of useless people for the most part yes like really it's, what's important is the audience reaction yeah not a critic yeah yeah so not that they don't have their place because they do but uh, take them with a huge grain of salt so as his career took off, so did John, literally. Uh, probably due at least in part to his having a dad in the Air Force, John had a lifelong obsession with both air and aerospace travel. So in 1974, so now he's fully flush with cash, right? Because <laughs> he's a hit maker. Um, he bought a Learjet. Wow. Yep. Uh, new car caviar, four-star traveling section, I think I need a Learjet, right? Yes. <laughs> so two years later, his father, Henry Sr., taught him how to fly. Um, and that actually help, helped their relationship a little bit, sure. which was pretty estranged. Of course. And helped them bond a bit. Uh, Denver would fly himself to some of his own gigs. He would go on to have a bit of a penchant for collecting vintage planes, including two Cessna 210s and a biplane Kristen Eagle aerobatic. And here's what those... Well, first of all, here's him as a pilot. Okay. Experimental. Notice it's experimental. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit. And here is an example of one of the planes he had. 
Well, it's not, that's not his plane, but like a similar model. Sure. So he bought like literally what looks like Amelia Earhart. Biplane. Yes. Yes. Biplane. Exactly. Um, So as his star and planes were rising, so did his political interests. So unsurprisingly, environmentalism was a pet cause for John Denver's given his love of nature, but he also co-founded the Hunger Project, which focused on ending world hunger. It's still around today, isn't it? I think it, it is, yeah. yeah. Um, he was involved in protecting those experiencing homelessness and those with AIDS once that became an issue. And he campaigned for Jimmy Carter. Oh, oh so he was a communist. Exactly, yes. <laughs> that commie. <laughs> Along with Jane Fonda, that slut. <laughs> that, that slut. John Denver, that commie. Um, he John Denver ended up serving on Jimmy Carter's special commission on world hunger. Okay. Presidential commission. As the decades turned, and here's where we learn that John Denver was okay. He was highly critical of Ronald Reagan. Yes. <laughs> good. good. Good for him. That's the first sign of somebody being maybe okay. <laughs> oh, no, not maybe okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah jesus fucking christ we won't we won't go down that trail we won't um his interest in the aerospace sector landed him a nasa public service medal for helping quote increase awareness of space exploration end quote because like people who are celebrities and have an audience if they're willing to like say hey this is a worthwhile endeavor we need to be like their clout can make Things happen, you know? So he was one of those people. That clout being communism. Well, let's get into that. So John also... That's what they would call... That's literally what they would call him today. Well, especially after this. John also controversially played in the Soviet Union at the height of the 80s Cold War panic. He was one of a very few American artists invited to play in the Soviet Union. Um, In 1986, when Chernobyl happened, when the Chernobyl disaster happened... It he like he was really disturbed by that, and he decided <laughs> yes, as everyone on the yes, planet should have been. He decided to play a charity show or uh, to raise aid for victims of Chernobyl, but he didn't just do that. This was six months after the meltdown. He played a show eighty miles away from Chernobyl, where it's in still the USSR. Fucking dangerous yes, as shit. Yes. Where people don't even one. know what the dangers yes, are. Yes, he, he played a full-blown show to raise aid for Chernobyl victims. Yep. Wow. He also wrote the song, Let Us Begin, What Are We Making Weapons For, as a plea for nuclear disarmament. This is like in the mid-80s this guy is doing this shit. So to- I mean, t- total commie. St- you know, see, Stalinist. Don't uh, you like, love him yeah, more? I do. Um, yeah, me too. Like... He's just well. Well, getting back to just before we play this, mm-hmm. my impressions of early country music. He's not early country music. No, he's not. But he he's pi- a little more on the folk side. But he's got some country. I mean, thank but God he, I'm a country boy. Right. But he picked up from that early country music was rebellious, and it it wasn't like modern country music. The reason why it sucks so much is it's heartless and like it well, it's, it's no, soulless. it's be- yes. It's because yeah. everybody's vying for Boy Scout of the yeah. fucking year. Like, like it's just fucking, it's it's bootlick rock. My, my God and my country yeah, and, is and, bullshit. And if you feel that way, that's fine. They like, I'm not though. Those, these, these right, they're doing it to sell fucking records. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, fuck all that shit. Yeah, well, 
folk music has long been a oh, protest. Um, yes, and yeah. being rebellious in yeah. nature. Yes. So this is, um, let us begin, what are we making weapons for? There are four generations of I think I've heard this song. He's going way farther than I would have gone. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, he was also affected early that same year, 1986, uh, by another disaster that happened in 1986 in the aerospace sector. Oh, yeah, the Challenger. Yep, the Challenger. And he wrote the, he dedicated the song Flying for Me to the crew of the Challenger. And here, we're going to play a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, both it's of those songs are a little, a little, little too sappy for it's me. 80, but, uh, it's mid 80s, Denver. Yeah. But still. <laughs> this is past his prime. Yeah. But still. Like, I think he's he's more like an, I'm ambas- an ambassador. I talk about things. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he would fully acknowledge his very left leaning politics in concerts to a very right leaning audience. How, you know? Yeah. Fo- well, rock, or I'm sorry. Country music absolutely leans right, right? It's always, well, since it became popularized, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the the audience it's going to attract. Right. Which, but again, you listen to early country music, like it's, it. Well, and again, folk, folk, which is adjacent, is very left in general. So um, he would be quoted as saying, quote, I think some of them, meaning his audience, are shocked at what I say. That's why I come out first and do a string of six of my old hits first. And they relax and sit back and say to themselves, yeah, there's old John. Then I tell them how we lost 43,000 farms in the country last year before going into what are we making weapons for. A few get up and leave, but for the most part, the response is tremendous. End quote. So he's no dummy. He's right. like, I get that my audience maybe doesn't jive with all my politics. So how about I drive it home for them? And in that, um, what are we making weapons for? Talks about there's four generations in this soil. Oh, it's, yeah. I'd rather cut off my right arm than leave. And he's talking about like the complete devastation of American roots, along with all this bullshit that we're dealing with politically. So smart guy. Fine. Fucking fucking commie. Like, uh, there's 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 no place in politics with with music. Well, uh, we are going to get into some of his shit in a minute. So, in 1984, John Denver surprised a lot of America by testifying. Oh, this is why I love him. This is why I love him. <laughs> they cover this a lot more in the You're Wrong About. I oh, I, well, I've seen it, it covered in uh, all oh, yeah, sorts sure. of... But that's yeah. how I know of it. Um, in defense of spree- free speech and artistic freedom before Congress in the Parents Music Resource Center hearings, along with less surprising witnesses like Dee Snyder and Frank Zappa, Snyder would later call Denver's testimony, quote, the most powerful in many of ways. Of course. End quote, because, quote, he was such a mom's American pie, John Denver Christmas special, fresh scrubbed guy, end quote. Yeah. And he 
did a damn good job of saying like, motherfuckers, step the fuck back. Well, he brought in up the most John Denver way possible. He brought up the 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 fact that his song Rocky Mountain High. I was about to say that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh well, go ahead. No, that's all right. He specifically ha- mentioned how Rocky Mountain High had been misconstrued about getting high right. when he actually meant it as the sort of, quote, natural high mm-hmm. of being in nature, the euphoria of nature, yeah. not as literally getting high on drugs. Now, the other side of this, just so we know, is that he did later admit that he wrote Rocky Mountain High while high on weed and LSD. Oh, well, yeah. Well, great. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I picture But that doesn't necessarily mean no, that that's the it doesn't negate right, the meaning of the song. Said, yes. Yeah. Now, I couldn't find specific sources for this, but I do he was get doing a LSD feeling, back then. That was some good shit. I do get a feeling that John Denver, nature lover, probably did a lot oh, fuck of yeah. weed and a lot of LSD and wandered out into like Aspen. I don't know about a lot of LSD. Well, I mean, he probably did it here and there. There was also rumors of cocaine. Just saying. I, I don't... But, I mean, that's... it's it, Weed, the, certainly. It's the weirdest thing with him, because, yes... And it's he, legal in Colorado now, too. Yes. But <laughs> Thank the, you, John Denver. But that is the weirdest thing about him. He looks as, like, a clean-cut, scrappy... I'm gonna cover Lee Greenwood's <laughs> I'm Proud to Be an American fucking song. <laughs> Where mentally, he's a, he's a lefty, lefty. Mentally, lefty. he's the furthest fucking thing away from that. But you would never know it. Just look at him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you wouldn't. Now, here's the thing where he gets a little problematic. Are we ready for the? This is the downside of John Denver. Um, now, this feels like it would be a conspiracy theory. He himself fully confirmed that this happened, and some of this is going to be in his own words. Okay. Um, it involved his behavior towards his wife, Annie. Okay. Um, that very much could be called emotionally abusive, if not worse. And while this is just a single incident, we don't know if there were other incidents. Apparently, Annie hasn't necessarily said that there was, but anyway. Um, one day, he discovered that she had had some of the trees on their property taken down. Mm -hmm. Now... (laughs) John loved trees, (laughs) loved his trees. So he basically went berserker. And by that, I mean, this is in his own words, quote, and that's when I got the power saw going, end quote. Okay. Quote, first I cut off a corner of the kitchen table, and then I cut up the dining room table, end quote. Not a new quote. Then in the same manner, I descended on the bedroom. I sawed the headboard all the way across until the sheets got entangled and the saw jammed. End quote. So dude fucking took a chainsaw to their home. Where were the children during this? What the fuck was his wife thinking during this? Like, this is not normal behavior. It's not. This isn't cool. No. And it doesn't sound like he, like, laid a hand on Annie or the kids, but that's, like, emotional terrorism. That's, that's not a, cool. Uh, he could have just said, yeah, I'm upset about this. Mm-hmm. Th- that's going way too far uh, to prove a point. That's a weird <laughs> level to go to, John. <laughs> yeah. That's not cool. Um, so unsurprisingly, I'm sure that this leaves it like, of course they lived happily. Yeah, they, they their marriage wasn't on great terms. 
terms, especially after this. Um, so they divorced in 1983. But apparently John always called Annie the love of his life. And Annie kind of confirmed it. She said um, in an interview with Brian Gumble after he died, quote, when the crunch came for both of us, we were always there for each other. Mm. Quote. And they had two kids together. So hopefully they were good co-parents, too. Um, also, this whole time period was probably really stressful for him. In 1982, his dad died at age 61 of a massive heart attack. So, okay. You know. So John remarried. I'm, hey. None of us are fucking perfect. No, and I'm not and, saying that that right. that, that um, invalidates anything. I'm just saying uh, but, but we I, can't I, pretend that he's like some angel. And well, that's okay. Don't pretend that anybody is. Mm-hmm. That would be my advice. Number one. But in our modern day culture where anybody does just the slightest thing to fuck up, it gets turned into, oh, they were, you know. See, I, I don't completely agree with that. I do. I think that. That's why I said it. Okay. That's fine. Let's move on. So, in John remarried in 1988 uh, to a woman much younger than him, and I couldn't tell if she was 26 or 27. It would depend on uh, when her birthday was. But 1988, he would have been 44, mm-hmm. probably. Um, now, no shade on marrying someone a lot younger than you. Go for it. Um, an Australian actress named Cassandra Delaney. They had a daughter named Jessie together, but they were separated within three years. They separated right. by 1991. They divorced in 1993. And here's the biggest yikes about it. John would later say, quote, before our short-lived marriage ended in divorce, she managed to make a fool of me from one end of the valley to the other. <laughs> End quote. Okay. He even says insults, like, poetically. By the early 90s, um... So John had a, another problem. He liked booze mm. a bit much. Um, and his alcoholism was pretty out of control by the... Um, <laughs> of course, I'm mildly stumbling over this a couple beers in, which is very apropos, isn't it? Um, he was convicted of drunk driving in 1993. And while still under probation for the offense, the next year, 1994... He drove under the influence and crashed his Porsche into a tree. Mm. So that's two, two <clears throat> driving under the influence convictions in two years. That's not good. No. Um, he also had a history of some close calls in his flying. So oh, Jesus, yeah. In 1989, he was refueling his Waco QCF. Oh, I don't. I forgot a picture of that. Um, in Holbrook, Arizona, when his plane that had already landed, right, got lifted, lofted by a strong wind, hmm. and he struggled to land it. Um, he eventually sort of ru- ran off the rail, the runway into some sand, sort of went off. He was fine. He was completely uninjured. But the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, <laughs> um, concluded that the cause of the incident was him. That he mm. should have been able to control the plane, and he mm-hmm. did. So, um, in 1994, he had another incident in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, when he taxied his plane into another Cessna on the runway. Okay. Yeah. Um, so because well, best to get into a plane crash when you're both on the ground. Yes, agreed. Better than a midair collision. Those do not end well. We've no. learned. Yeah. So because of John's DUI convictions, his fitness for flying was called into question. Uh, 
the main issue was his medical certificate. Um, now, the FAA, even though he had a now a kind of a criminal record because of the two DUI convictions, the FAA agreed to let him keep his license, but they're like, you can keep your license, but you literally cannot drink. You have to fully abstain. Mm. Like, period. That's how this is going to work. Either you abstain from alcohol or you don't fly. Um, during a routine inspection of his medical records, now apparently, so, like, I'm used to the world of HIPAA, you know, you're not allowed mm-hmm. to divulge anything, but I'm guessing if you're a pilot, maybe some of that is voluntarily relinquished to Probably. for the medical part of it, right? Medical fitness. Even flying. if you are just flying on your own. Yes, Yes, because you're still operating a dangerous machine. Yeah, you could fly into a fucking building. Yes, or, and it's yeah. it's a lot less common than a car, right? So yeah. it's, it works a little differently. Um, so they were judging, trying to judge the validity of his medical certificate for flying. The FAA discovered that he had disclosed to his doctor that he still drank several drinks per week. Um, and remember, it wasn't like, oh, you can drink moderately. It was no, they said like, you can at drink, all. period. Not at all. Um, so they ruled that he would have to surrender his medical certificate. And without his medical certificate, he couldn't fly. Now, apparently, this is in 1996, right? Apparently, there's some controversy over whether he ever found out about that, if they had notified him. Okay. Mm. I only saw that in one source. I don't know if that's the case or if everything well, that we're happens coming, from here. We're coming close to... Yeah. If everything that happens later was fully done intentionally by him or not. So, um, John wasn't only an air flight enthusiast. He was a little bit of a daredevil. Hence the tiny little acro- or aerobatic planes he collected. Uh, allegedly he liked to, so here's a fun trick he liked to do. He liked to fly into Aspen and then about 35 miles out of the airport, cut the engines and glide in for a landing, like making it unnecessarily difficult. But I guess he, he got a kick out of it, whatever. By 1990. I don't know why you would do that, but (laughs) (laughs) well, to me, it also, it also tells me he was a pretty good pilot. If it worked, I mean, he also ran well, into I mean, a Cessna at one point. Maybe that was partially no, but, due to his little gliding. I don't know. But planes, I mean, can glide. They that, can. Yeah. And you should be able to do that in case of emergency. Yeah. But you're putting people unnecessarily at risk by doing that it voluntarily. Tr- that is true. Hence the daredevil part. Yeah. Right? So um, by 1997, he has had his eyes on a Rutan Model 61 Long Easy. I'll show you what that looks like. A picture as well as like a diagram of the plane. Okay. And just for like... Interesting looking. Just for the sake of having like, here's the technical specs. Um, Quoting Wikipedia, quote, it has a cannered layout, a swept wing with wingtip rudders, and a pusher engine and propeller. End quote. Whatever that means. Anyway, it's tiny. It's scary looking. That's all I know. So um, what's even scarier about this plane is that it was not built in a factory. It was assembled by oh, We're getting a back person. to that. This is the homemade part. It was not John. Mm, right. It was somebody else who owned it before him. Right? Um, so this was a homemade plane from who, a kit. Who just, even so. Mm-hmm. Like, who just. I'm with you. Who just builds a plane? I mean. There, the, there, there. Mm. 
and on top of that, there was a guy 20 years ago who literally, like, built his own space shuttle. That's something different. <laughs> but anyway, like, just, I know. just make furniture. Like, just... <laughs> <laughs> just make something yeah. useful that, yeah. like, that's not dangerous. Yeah, just don't build a plane, like, yeah. if you're listening to this. So I get the DIY-ness of I, it. I do too, but it's a fucking plane. It is a plane. This is not something to mess with. There are some yeah. things that you shouldn't fuck with. Planes yeah. are probably one. Anyway. um, So D- John Denver bought it from a Southern California veterinarian named Vandal Snow. And I, I couldn't tell if he was the one who actually put it together, if it was somebody before him. So I'm not sure of that. He bought it on... He was like, yes, I used to fly it remote controlled with my cats inside. <laughs> like the first dogs in space. <laughs> yeah. Um, he bought it on September 27th, 1997 for $56,000. Holy today, shit. Today, that would be about $96,500. For fucking... For this thing? No. I mean, it's a plane. Uh, but still, like, uh, no. All right. Well, that's what happened. Old Johnny Denver was flushed with cash. (laughs) Well, yes, he is. (laughs) Imagine the royalties coming in at this point. That's true, yeah. So, uh... Depending on how his contract was structured. I mean, there's (laughs) there's all sorts of ways. I mean, he could be broke and have all these hits. I don't think he was. But no, he he wasn't. He was pretty well off. Yeah. Um... So he didn't just buy it. He ha- he had he test flew it. He had it test flown. He had it checked over by mechanics. The whole bit, no concerns were raised. Um, Vandal Snow would later state that he never had any issues with the plane. Um, and Denver sent the plane to uh, get it repainted and have it reg- registered. So that was going on in the background. This is September twenty seventh, ninety seven, right? So. John Denver played his last concert on October 5th, 1997 in Corpus Christi, Texas. And his last performed song before um, his death was Calypso, another one of his hits. say it's about the ocean yes and that's going to oh so okay yeah i i know no details of this i just know that it neither happened. did i until i read this so yeah <clears throat> um so that was october 5th he he goes back to california um and he picked up his newly painted long easy plane homemade plane on october 11th 1997 that was a saturday he performed multiple test flights in the aircraft with an experienced pilot that day. No problems. Everything okay. cool. Um, he made plans to play golf the next day and then take off in his new plane to practice a little. And at this point in his life, John had over 2,700 towers of flight, hours of flight time logged. So he's got That's some, a lot. He's got some time. On the afternoon of Sunday, October 12th, John played a round of golf with his friends at the Spyglass Hill Golf Course oh, in yeah. Pebble Beach. Yes. Yep, California. That's a, that's a PGA course. Yes, and it's a, a little south of the Bay Area, yeah. the coast of California. 
gorgeous it looked like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, spyglasses, yeah. Is it like one of the big ones? Uh, there's not like a huge tournament, but it's it's just a noted it's a PGA tour event every year. They go to they it's go to Spyglass. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah. His friends tried to get him to play another round, but he told them, quote, I'd love to play, but I got a new plane. I'm going to practice my landings and takeoffs. End quote. So he <laughs> I just thought this was an interesting detail. So he goes to the airport in his golf clothes. <laughs> he had green pants. A multicolored sweater, a cap, and cowboy boots. That's what he okay. wore at the airport. Nice. Um, I wonder if the cowboy boots have spikes on them. <laughs> Does he have spurs? That jingle, jingle, jingle. <laughs> Maybe. <clears throat> so the weather was clear, light winds, not a bad day at all. Um, a tech at the airport offered to fuel up the plane. Uh, one of the, I didn't put this in here, but I think one of the engines had like half a tank, one had like a quarter tank, and John turned him down. He's like, look, I'm only going to be flying for like an hour, not going to be long here. Mm-hmm. This is late afternoonish, mm-hmm. So my guess is it was like, it's October, like, eh, it's going to start getting dark soon. We're just going to get a little bit in. I just want to play with my, basically he's like, I, I want to play, play with, with my, my new toy. toy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so John and the tech also discussed the plane's cockpit fuel selector valve handle. So let's talk about what that means. So this is a biplane. It has two engines so what, and two fuel tanks. What tank is, is he drawing from? Is Basically, that, yes, you're exactly yes. right. So on the left wing is the left fuel tank and left engine. On the right wing is the right fuel tank and the right engine. And I'm also guessing you would want to balance what that is because of the weight of the fuel. Yes, that is exactly right. Now, in general, there's there's a thing. You, a- you actually want to be able to do two different things. You want to be able to balance and transfer fuel if necessary, mm-hmm. right? Like, hey, I'm getting, like, basically unbalanced. Sure. I need a little more weight on Wait, one weight's side, Weight's a little right? off. Yeah. But let's say something happens to one of the engines or one of the fuel tanks, you don't want it to fuck up the other one. Right. So there is a thing called, and now I'm going off script and I'm going to, Anyway, the cross-feed valve. Okay. That lets fuel go from one side to the other. And it can either be, like, blocked, which it is most of the time. Sure. Unless you need to redistribute, in which case you you open it up and redistribute the fuel. Right? Like, long and short, the ELI-5 version. I couldn't find an ELI-5. I had to make that up on my own. But anyway, um, the cross-feed valve is there if you need it. Otherwise, it's just like, nope. Left is left and right is right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, so the fuel selector is what lets you do that. And here's what uh, an example of what one looks like. I'm not saying that this is the one that was on. Sure, but it's yeah. The plane, but it, it's probably it, that's close the enough. Mechanism, right? Yeah. yeah. So, apparently, in this homemade plane, <laughs> there was a problem with the handle on the fuel selector valve. So, first off. It had been placed in a really awkward position. So, if you're a pilot, right, where should all your controls be? Right in front of you. Bam, right? Guess where the... the behind f- behind him? Over his left shoulder. That's, that makes no sense. <laughs> zero sense That makes sense zero whatsoever. sense. Zero sense whatsoever. I mean, the same thing with a fucking car. Yeah, would you, you want, want You want everything... Yeah. The, behind yeah. you on the left? Well, anything that you need, you, you want it in front of you. Yes. Where it's, absolutely do. You know? That's the whole point. I mean, you, your seatbelt is 
behind you. Yes, well, that's but, just for the mechanism. Right, but you're likely putting it on before you start your car yes. or before you get moving. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's fine where that is. But yeah, like, it, but yeah, imagine if you had to shift, like turning turn around. around awkwardly. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're going to find out what happens when you have to do that. Um, and this was not the intention of the design of this plane. The person who built it did that shit. It was supposed well, right. to be in front. They, for some fucking reason, put it behind the left shoulder of the pilot. Um, now, that wasn't the only weird shit that somebody made a this choice li- to do. It's literally a fucking homemade plane. Yes. They also put the fuel gauge behind the pilot's that seat. That makes fucking absolutely no sense. I didn't put this in, but guess guess how he was expected to keep an eye on fuel. Uh, turning around. A mirror. Like a, a rear fucking view mirror. He had he had a mirror to use. Like what the fuck even? Like you couldn't find a place for that. Like oh my god. And then on top of it all, the fuel selector thing that you had to reach behind you to do behind your left shoulder, it stuck. The valve stuck. That's he, not surprising. And the tech tried to help him out by using, like, vice grip pliers. Like, maybe that's, we can extend it. It's not something it you want to do in the middle of the fucking air. Well, and the, the angle's just still fucking weird. So, anyway, John was like, the tech is like, so here's the thing. Like, we can try putting these pliers on here, but you still have to turn around. John said, you know what? If something happens where I need to, like, redistribute the fuel, I'll put the plane in autopilot turn around and deal with it that was his solution now surface that doesn't sound like the worst plan in the world would a homemade plane have autopilot apparently yes okay i I don't think that was an issue okay it it did all right so at 5 12 p.m local time uh john took off from the monterey peninsula airport he performed three touch and go landings so he landed Mm -hmm. took off landed etc then Again, he's just playing around. He's, he's getting learning the, to get the feel take of off it. and land in this plane, yes. Yeah. Then at 5.27 p.m., he was cleared to leave the airport's traffic pattern. So now he's really going to go for a little bit and then come back. He reset his transponder, then radioed in again. At first, they couldn't hear him. Then they did. And his last known words were, quote, do you have it now? End quote. Meaning, like, do you, mm. can you hear me now? Um, at 5.28 p.m., so he took off, right? At 5.28 p.m., at around 500 feet in the air, John Denver's aircraft dropped violently into the Pacific Ocean. Jesus. Like, there was a quote that was basically like, it dropped out Just of the sky. Just fell out of the sky. There were 20 known witnesses to the crash. Mm. Uh, several heard what they described as an engine backfire beforehand. Mm. Witness John Willoughby said, quote, he banked to one side with the right wing down and the left wing up. I thought he was a stunt pilot. Then he hit the water. It sounded like 100 tons of concrete dropping from the heavens. So he fucking slammed. Fucking full speed. tilt into the water. Now, there were witnesses. They got people there instantly. Into the Pacific Ocean. Yes. Uh, fucking good luck with that. Not 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 as if like crashing into another ocean is going to be right. better, but it's off the coast of California. But here's the thing: a... he's just off the coast of yeah. California, so 
uh, rescue crews were like there on the spot. Sure. Hot second, he's, right? He's, yeah, he's. Yeah. The crash had only happened about 150 yards from shore. That's really feet close. Of water. It, this was not out there. This was close. Yes. Well, again, he took 20, off at 20 527 a minute later he's crashing. He was only 500 feet in the air. He was not far at all. In fact, they didn't have to go out for him. 20 minutes after the crash his body floated up. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um because of the ocean currents um his body was badly mutilated yeah um they couldn't identify him visually they had to send for fingerprints yeah it wasn't good it wasn't good um this is a picture of them with the body bag it's not graphic or anything Mm -mm. it's just well i mean imagine i mean the imagine hearing that sound from 150 feet out in the ocean, the ocean way the ocean makes its own noises. Yes, all uh-huh. the time. So if you're able to hear it, that's fucking loud. So it's basically like his body <clears throat> falling off like a thirty story building and hitting well, the fucking ground. Well, what it hopefully means is it happened really fucking fast. It did. Yeah, and he didn't suffer. No, I don't think he did. But but the mutilated body, I can understand, yeah. like because it's literally like yeah. Yeah. Well, he hit the ground, or will he hit the water, which is like the ground because of surface tension. If you're going at a high yeah. enough speed. Yeah, and from a high enough height, which he definitely was. Mm. So, It's like a 50-story building. Basically. Yeah. So, um, now, one thing that was a question initially was, he has two DUIs. Yeah, was he drinking? He was not. Yeah, that's not surprising. They ran an autopsy. Autopsy said nothing. Yeah. They said no alcohol, no drugs. He was completely sober. Yeah, and I was thinking early because the the setup was he was playing golf earlier. Right, you drink a you, couple beers on the yes, No, yes, apparently he uh, literally was okay. taking it fucking seriously. He, right. he had nothing. Nothing in the system. Good. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, well, what happened? He wasn't drunk and something happened. Sound like he was hot dogging it maybe. Well, let's find out. Yeah. It's an aviation accident. Who investigates aviation accidents? The NTSB. Yep. There wasn't a black box. This is a tiny little thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. They have to look at all the mechanics and the witness testimony of the tech and the witnesses and everything. What's going on here? The report was issued on January 27th, 1999. So just a few months later. Mm-hmm. It concluded. Wait, okay. 1999 or 1997? Oh, 1990. Oh, 19, I did say 1999. Yeah. It would have been 1998. Maybe it was a year later. I'm sorry. I'm not sure if I just got the year wrong or if I wrote the report. Anyway, they issued the report. We'll just say they issued the report. Okay, so John had chosen... The tech had said, like, hey, you want to refuel? He said, no. I've got enough for what I want to do, right? Well, that created a situation soon after his last takeoff, that he was going to need to rebalance the fuel tanks. Mm-hmm. So he needs the crossfeed valve, right? Mm-hmm. Behind his fucking left shoulder. Yeah, with vice grips. Yes. <laughs> um. So when you... This, this I found really interesting. Okay. Say, like, something's going on here, so you can't just completely, you know, stand up and turn around. Of course not. Imagine... 
reaching behind you with your left with your left hand. Well, you wouldn't be doing it with your left hand. You'd be doing it with your right hand. No, he was doing it with his left hand. So he was completely turned no, around. No, I don't I don't think this is uncomfortable for a 53-year-old man. No, but what I'm saying is if something is right behind you on no, your left. No, it's not right behind him. It's behind him. Okay. I don't think it was literally right yeah, you could just reach over. But you were right saying there. you were saying no, over his shoulder. I said behind his okay. left shoulder. Okay. I think it was way back here. Your left hand's a lot easier, and you don't have to twist around. He's buckled in, right? Yeah. He's fifty-three. He's not going to do that, right? So, left hand behind you. What do you do automatically to brace your left side? Look at what I'm doing. Your right foot goes out mm-hmm. to brace, so you can push to get your left hand out. What was by his right foot was the right rudder control pedal. Oh. So it is thought. Now, it's not positive because well, there's not well, a black box. We're not going to know. It appears that what happened, he needed to access that crossfeed fuel valve. He turned around, autopilot probably, right? Turned around to his left, braced with his right foot, didn't realize he clipped the right pedal that controlled the right rudder. And that's why it just made a fucking... Well, that's why what it did is it yawed, it lurched to the right, Mm -hmm. nose went up. He lost control of the plane, fucking dropped from the sky. Like, 500 feet, you have that long to control the plane. Yeah, you you have no room for error. You have no time. You have no time, basically. And he crashed. Mm -hmm. So... In addition to, so the first thing that they're, the NTSB said is like, fuck this plane's design, the person who built it. Like, what the fuck? Why did he have to reach over his left shoulder? That's bullshit, right? That's not a direct quote from the NTSB. Might as well. You know. Um, I believe it's in an official statement somewhere. But they also cited John himself as a contributing factor. They're like, dude, you should have refueled. And you didn't. And that he was inexperienced enough with that plane that he couldn't gain control of it again. Mm. So, The NTSB recommended to the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA. (laughs) That guy's not going to make any more planes. Well, they said, look, (laughs) you got to start keeping an eye on homemade aircraft. Inspect them more often. Make sure there are rules and regs around it. And who the fuck just does that? Like, who, like... I've seen plenty of people like redesign or remodel cars that are already, you know what I mean, like yeah. like West Coast uh, customs and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But somebody's already made like the car. Yeah, you're just redesigning it. I've never seen anybody like I'm just gonna make a car and like I and mean, like put go the shifter over the left shoulder. Yeah, it, it's, or or it's... just or just not even just regular design. Yeah, like who the fuck just makes a car and like oh I'm gonna go drive it. L- well, like. So what they called it was experimental aircraft. Yeah. And they're like, so here's the thing. If you're going to do that shit, you need extra training. So they recommended additional training for experimental pilots flying experimental aircrafts. Which is nothing new. I mean, pilots have been flying experimental aircraft literally since the dawn of aircraft. But they haven't been regulated since then. So that's where it's like, we need to start. And it's normally, it's normally like uh, test pilots in like the Navy or the Air Force. Yes. Yeah. Doing that kind of shit. Not, not Mm -hmm. some dude, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So despite this being pretty clear cut, I mean, again, not conclusive, but 
it was a good explanation for what happened, right? Um, It didn't keep conspiracy theorists from not even letting the poor guy die in peace. So uh, suicide rumors ran rampant. So now, understandably, him just like fucking dropping in the ocean. If you're just looking at it, you could say, oh, kamikaze, right? Like just doing it deliberately. But it was explained. I would say all sorts of shit can go wrong in a plane. Yes. And sometimes a plane just fucking falls out of the sky for a multitude Mm -hmm. of reasons. Mm -hmm. But I found when I, when I, I think I was just Googling John Denver flying or something, a National Enquirer oh, article Here we came go. up. Do you want to know when it was dated? What year? 2005. 2017. <laughs> 20 here, years, so they're doing the 20th yes, anniversary. Here yeah. was the headline. John Denver suicide shocker, boozing singer's last flight, troubled singer may have meant to crash all fucking baseless boozing singer he was fucking stone cold sober you know what the funniest thing about like you bringing up the national Enquirer was mm-hmm. like 20 years ago that would have been like oh that's like the tabloid rag like people no, nowadays who the fuck knows about the national Enquirer? well like people nowadays like you've kind of forgotten it all because because GMC all because because all media is this kind of fucking bullshit even well, yeah, pretty much. Well, TMZ came on the scene, and TMZ is like, like they have enough legitimate news stories to make them credible. The National Enquirer was just bullshit from day one. Yeah. but still, yeah, no, I'm with. I I understand. And I'm with you. But... Like the National Enquirer. Yeah, I forgot mm. that was a thing. Yeah, I know. Same. So John Denver was cremated, and his his ashes were scattered in the Rocky Mountains. Very, very fitting. Yes. Several memorials have been placed in his honor, including a plaque near the crash site in Pacific Grove, California, and a bronze statue on the grounds of the famous Red Rocks Amphitheater near Denver. And that's that. Nice. It's like 15 feet tall. It's him with a guitar and an American eagle on his arm. And also, it's just that. I don't know. I, I mean, the picture is... Yeah, it cuts off the legs. A but bit. it's not... Here is this living... Right. It's just a picture. It's a it's statue of a guy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, with no... Here's John Denver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, mm-hmm. if you're going to make a statue of anybody, which I we both agree there shouldn't be statues of anybody. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to make a statue of somebody, make it like that. Make it, yeah. va- make it vague. Yeah. Just here's a person. Yeah. Who loved nature. There you go. God, it's sad. In 2007, the Colorado State Senate passed a resolution that Rocky Mountain High would serve as co-state song, along with where the columbines grow. Apparently, columbine is actually a type of tree. Oh, okay. I think think it's a tree anyway. Anyway, whatever. And in 2014, Take Me Home Country Roads was made the state song. Of West Virginia. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that, my friends, was the story of the death of John. It's just, it, it, it's just, it's bullshit. I mean, it's. What's bullshit? What do you mean? That he's dead. Like, and that, and that he, and that he died like that. Like, it, it's like, it's like, why can't Dick Cheney die? <laughs> you, you know what why I mean? Can't why can't fucking die? horrible, but horrible people mm-hmm. still, the, horrible people live till like they're 110. Yeah. You know, and 
fucking what's his name from the Nixon administration? Is still- Agnew? No, he's oh, dead. Kissinger. Yes, he's still alive. How is fucking Kissinger. How the fuck still is he alive? still alive? I don't know. Like, cause he eats children probably. <laughs> Baby's blood. <laughs> yes. Infused. But it's like it's. <sighs> but poor little John Denver's dead at fifty-three. I mean, he was doing something dumb but i mean we've we've all fucking done that yes. you know i mean he wasn't responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people no. last last i checked no but no dick cheney and henry kissinger are still alive and this fucking like, like this legend that it's just it's fucking bullshit well you see david that's proof that god exists i fucking guess so <laughs> and fuck him too or her or whatever image it, they might take they no wait yeah. god isn't gender neutral <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's just not fair. I know. You know? It is not. Because life isn't fair. No. Because there's not an eternal justice system at play. We're all here on our own. Yeah. And whatever fucking happens, happens. And we are fucking lucky when we find people who are here in it with us. Yeah. And people who are able to tap into something like John Denver was. Yeah, it's it's just it's sad. Like I didn't. It's really sad. Yeah, it's really sad. I did not think that I would fucking love his voice. I love his voice. I don't know if I love his voice, but I I I, I love the I, emotion in his voice. Exactly. Like I, that's what's gorgeous. It's yes. not objectively like if you took it purely scientifically. Is it brilliant? No. It's not as good as mine. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> But I mean, but there there is like you can hear it in every song that he sings. There emotional. there's an emotion that's yes. there that he is authenticity. like Yes, he's engaged yeah. with the song mm-hmm. in a way that mm-hmm. you know, makes you engaged with the song. Yes. Um yeah, it's just Yeah. I mean, yeah, life sucks and yeah, it does. and fuck it. <laughs> life sucks and fuck it. <laughs> That's why I tried to spend the bulk of the time on the fun stuff. Yeah. About it. Because he did leave. And that's that's a really awesome thing about musicians is you get to leave a legacy. A legacy, yeah. Like a, a, an emotional legacy. Yeah. I think that's what he did. He really left an emotional legacy about himself. And especially him being like basically a little introverted person. Well, I mean, the thing that the, the thing that I've always I've never been like a fan of his music. I don't think I've ever voluntarily played. I've never purposefully listened to his music. Yeah, I don't know. Until um, but I mean, I knew about his testimony uh, to Congress. Yes. Uh-huh. I, I've I've known about that for a long time, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's fucking badass. It was. I'm like, that's I'm like because he's the guy that can sell it. Mm-hmm. D. Snyder, you you know what he's gonna yeah. say. Uh, Frank Zappa, you know what he's gonna mm-hmm. say, but they can't sell it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You need a good boy to sell. This. You need somebody that looks like oh he's uh, he uh, he's a Boy Scout and he's you need all that fucking you know optics. You need all that bullshit. Optics, yeah. And then when he starts talking, I'm sure everybody in the room was like, wait, what? Like what the fuck? Like I thought you were on our side. Like right. no, no motherfucker. Like no. And I love his thing about, like, so I got that my target audience, like, was not politically on the same page as me, so here's what I did. 
I'm going to entertain him. Going to entertain him for a little bit. All the nicey, 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 nicey. And then let's talk about like, hey, did you know that this shit is actually really bad for like normal middle class, lower middle class folk like you? Here's why. Let me talk about nuclear disarmament. And he fucking won them over. Because he didn't, he he was like, look. Because he probably also understood optics. Optics well, are, are a fucking. He knew, like, yes. we need to handle this. I need to handle yeah. this. This is a situation that he, he's a fucking politician, basically. Yeah. But yeah. like a, a nice, normal person politician, not a fucking. Not a running for office. Model. Yes. <laughs> so he was like, I can grease the wheels here. I can make this run a little smoother and I can talk about, hey, you know how you would like your life to be better? There's a bunch of people in the USSR kind of struggling now too. And we're all suffering for it. So let's talk about that. And they're going to listen to me more often than not because they like me. Like it would have been one thing if he'd brought out like, um, here is Star Child from... Like you know whatever, like the a twenty five year old from whatever, uh, cult from Northern California. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some oh, okay, some fucking. Gotcha. I'm gonna bring out this hippie on the stage, and she's gonna tell you why nuclear. Like right. the audience wouldn't fucking buy it. Right. You know, and he knows that. Mm-hmm. You know, even though he probably like oh, should I bring Star Child on stage? <laughs> but because it's him, mm-hmm. um. And he's like, and he's being straightforward with his audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, some people probably did. Like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. like I don't listen to John Denver for the politics. Like, have you listened to his songs? Right. <laughs> like fucking. Like his like, nuclear like, disarmament. Song? Like, like what was the appeal? Like, yeah. what did you not get? Mm-hmm. But still, but he he was smart enough to know the stupid shut up and play shit. Yeah. Yeah, but he was smart enough to know I'm going to entertain them first. Mm-hmm. Give them what they want because they've paid money. They've given me money to entertain them. So I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to try to, Mm -hmm. you know, bring them over to the light side of the force. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not everybody will come and that's okay. And occasionally I might choose chaos like when I take a a chainsaw to my home. Yeah. (laughs) There's that too. Which I cannot picture him doing still. Like even when you were talking about oh that, God. I'm like, I'm like, I cannot picture that he, guy doing that. He fully fucking. Those were those were his words. Yeah. Yeah. He well, that's the only reason I believed he did it is because he was the one that was quoted. Yeah. Um. Well, I, I mean, everybody can lose their shit. Like I know I have. <laughs> like we 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 all have. I've never um, done anything with machinery. I lost my shit. I never have either because I don't know how to <laughs> operate a chainsaw. Maybe that's maybe that's the best for everybody. But it, it's, I've done quite a few things with a hockey stick. <laughs> but it is, it's just like a, what I, what I kind of like about all of this is like, he was, he seemed like a really cool cat. Yeah. <laughs> Who was also really human. And so he did human shit, which means he fucked up. Yeah. He thought, hey, this is a cool plane. Now, to be fair, the other side of is it of it is why didn't those mechanics say, hey, dude, you know that, that valve behind your shoulder? That could be a problem. Now, he dismissed it saying like, oh, I can put it on autopilot. But maybe he was told that by, I mean, we don't know. That's all just really ridiculous ex, uh, um, speculation. But, like, I like 
like part now part of his appeal to me is that he wasn't a fucking boy scout no not at all like he was he seems really human yeah really fucking human he seems like he had a, a strong ethical sense but was really fucking human you know something else that i did not put in there that also makes him more likable he was on the muppets at one point that's right he was <laughs> and guess what that led to what a lifelong friendship with Jim Henson. Oh, nice. And any friend of Jim Henson. Is, mean, is, a friend of, is a friend of mine. <laughs> I remember when he died. He died in like 1990 or 89. Mm. Yeah, He died a, a long big, time ago. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's... You know what I feel like this is a little bit like is the other major celebrity death that I want to cover one day that's like personally meaningful and that's Steve Irwin. Yes. Which we will do. We'll do that. I will do one day. Yeah. Because I definitely want to do that one. Yeah, that was highly personal. I think for everybody in the world when that happened. Isn't that the sort of like the power of like the public image built is when it feels personal to everybody? Yeah. Like, and it's also yeah. it's also because he wasn't full of shit either. He wasn't. No, you're right. He's literally going out there and fucking playing with like a, a snake that could, if it bites him, he's dead in like five yeah. minutes. And he's just like, oh, I got one. <laughs> and and we've all I seen love Steve and we've all and we've a... all seen like a couple of episodes like, oh, he's going to die. And he didn't. And he died in the most random fucking way. Yeah. And, the the uh, best yeah. thing is that his daughter, Bindi Sue. And his son. Yes. Like, his, t- his took kids on and his, his wife took on are his legacy. Like the loveliest people. Yeah. But his daughter had a baby recently. Got married. Oh, I didn't know had that. Had a baby okay. and is like the cutest little new Steve Irwin family. Ever. Yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah, very we'll do sweet. that one one day because that was, that was know. also very that was also just like life is unfair. Life like, is terrible. Like how could you take that person away? Uh, life sucks and everything <laughs> is terrible. How could you take that person away while George W. Bush and Dick Cheney are actually in office? Like, like I mean, I, I'm I know this sounds like a joke, but like if that doesn't prove that there's not a god or not a just god i don't know uh, what not, does you know not a just god i think we can go with yeah fucking pretty easily yeah uh but um but anyway poor little john denver he is well i mean and i, and, and, I and, learned and I, through this that i fucking love john denver's voice and i will also go out hey he went out doing what he loved doing and you know what the we we, we we could also we could all be as fortunate. Well, and you can only find the silver linings where you can find them. Hopefully, very quickly, no pain. Oh, the, no. sure sounds like he didn't it. feel shit. Hopefully, like it, he didn't even it, know it was happening. It probably it happened fucking so happened like that. I sure fucking hope so. It sounds like it. Yeah. And and you know what else didn't hurt anybody else? Didn't nope. Didn't crash over um, land. Maybe he, he killed a couple fish. People do that every day, so. Well, ocean okay. fish are usually pretty deep, but anyway. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think it's, uh, it's probably time to wrap it, it is, up. It, we're at, well, like, an hour 40 plus. <laughs> yeah, and we didn't have that much of a prologue either. No, we didn't. Um, this is just all how yeah. amazing John Denver is. Yeah. I kind of love John Denver now, and I kind of want to listen to all his music, which is really fucking weird. Yeah, that is, that's weird. I'm not going to do awesome. that. But anyway. We love you, John Denver. I definitely. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, well, just, I ag- fair. again, just unfair that he's gone. But thank God I'm a country boy. Yeah. 
Gotta got me money. He's literally he's literally right in between the age of my uh, mom and my dad. He's smack in the middle. Life ain't nothing but a funny funny riddle. There we go. He said it himself. Life ain't nothing but a funny funny riddle. And he lived it. Yeah. Thank God for John Denver. So that was. Do we have? Do we have an official title? Yeah. So that was the death of John Denver. <laughs> what I was, was that? I messed that up. <laughs> that was the death of John Denver. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.